If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello. Welcome back to our first ever second anniversary live podcast recording of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. Woo! Awesome. And we want to also give it up for the amazing Sidecar Donuts for not only giving us this amazing space to host this recording, but also providing these amazing donuts. Yes, they're mm. awesome. Amazing donuts. But there's lots left over, by the way. So please, please and help about, yourself. How about our uh, thankless, tireless selfless producer Ralph Palinda. Oh yes, Ralph Palinda, hey. everybody. He produces our podcast, he publishes our books. Yes, he designs our covers. He does so many amazing He makes things. us not sound like idiots. He does. The, 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 he tries. He tries, he tries really hard. He tries. The El Jefe. <laughs> he does try very hard. So anyway, hi. Uh, well, this is our second uh, second part. Of, we're going to start over kind of again. So hi, I'm Keith, uh, if you've forgotten. And uh, my name is Keith Giles. I'm the author of several books, including most recently... Um, Jesus Unveiled. Is that what it's called? Yes, I Jesus did. Unveiled. Um, yes, Forsaking Church as We Know It for Ecclesia as God Intended. And I'm joined by my co-host, Matt and Jamal. Guys, say hi. Hi, friends. Jamal again. Good to be back with you. Author of Living for a Living. And uh, it's, uh, it's awesome to be here, guys. <laughs> again, to still be here. To still, still be, be here. here. To still be here. Yeah, and I'm Matt. And I'll, I'll take this time to say that I have a book coming out. It's called Devoted as Fuck, Pardon the Crassness. Oh, my gosh. It's a devotional. Is this a Christian devotional? I wrote a devotional. Can With you the F word it? in it? Ugh. This is you how people. I, this is what I do. So, it's kind of, yeah, it's coming out this year. Um, it, it's the, the title's crass, but I think that the words inside are profound for the most part. So, the problem the, the, is... The idea is to get people to think. But there's a barrier that the, the, the people well, won't get over. Some the, people can't yes, get over to this get is true. to the goodness. This is true. Yes. But on the on the other hand, there are people who have like messaged me who I've never met on Facebook and like, hey, I'm an atheist and I really appreciate right. your work exactly. and stuff because you're not, you're just talking like how you talk and you're, right. you know, you're being you and that's refreshing. So, yeah. oh, I got to press start. This, this episode's going long. <laughs> Don't put the pothead and start in, in charge of this stuff. I'd say, uh, yeah. So I have a book. I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, it'll be out yeah. this year on choir. Awesome. Probably in November 9th. No, mine's coming out November 9th. <laughs> Yours can't come out November 9th. I have, a, I have a book coming out November 9th. So. Well, I'll let but, you decide when my book comes out then. But uh, but I think yours is maybe before that. Maybe. Maybe even sooner than that. Anyway, yeah. that's what I hear. Rumor. Depends on how good Ralph is at his job. Yes, and hey, um, by the way, oh, I didn't read. It. I should have read at the bottom of the page. This will, this, will, this will be, you'll understand this maybe if you're paying attention at the beginning. Um, hey, Zondervan has given us some amazing Bibles to give away for free, and uh, we're very grateful for them. And these are brand new, new Revised Standard Version Comfort Print Bibles. And to see the full lineup of these Bibles, you can go to nrsv.net. And uh, they're really awesome. By the way, we have the winner of the final Bible. So I'm sorry one, huh? if you listened to the previous episode and you were rushing to try to tag one of us. Um, sorry. You can stop now yeah. because the final Bible has now been given away. And the lucky person is Alessandra Haynes, who tagged us on Facebook with her favorite episode, Is God Violent? with Derek Flood. Was, yeah. So thank you, Alessandra. Thank you, Zondervan, for giving us those Bibles. I hope you don't regret it. And um, 
I think now we're going to move into our, one of my favorite things I love uh, about these live podcast shows is the Q&A. And so if uh, this conversation that you've just heard us have about God providing and all this kind of stuff, uh, if, if it provokes a question, if you have a question, um, our, our lovely assistant, Taylor, yes, is uh, she has the microphone. And she will just raise your hand. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be directly tied to the topic. Yeah, it can be. It, it can be. If, yeah, if you have if, something else. In and, general, just something you've always wanted to know, yes. About, yeah. Hopefully about theological things. Maybe. Hopefully. Oh, oh. And yes, if you're on Facebook Live, are they, can I talk to them right here, this little camera? Hi. Oh. Hi, Facebook Live people. Cheers. Yes, always- if you're listening on Facebook Live, you have a question, you can type it in with your keyboardies and... We got Ralph, a tech guy. Ralph will give it to us. All yeah. right. So raise your hand if you have a question. Oh, yes. What's your name, sir? Yeah. Uh, my my name's Barrett. I uh, play for the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I've seen you in the green room. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> I don't recognize you without your hat. Old man Giles. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my question is uh, uh, for Jamal uh, with desire. Does desire have to line up with any kind of ability? Because if I wanted to become an Olympic athlete at this point, I may have missed my window. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, this could apply to many people. Like, let's say I wanted to do uh, a performance art. This, and that's how I wanted to make my living. It's probably not going to happen. But I love it. So, and my ability, I'm a terrible performance artist. Um, so how does that work as far as ability and desire matching? Okay. First of all, I, th- I think I understand your question. So let, m- let me make sure I I'm heard you correctly. So let me repeat it back to you. You tell me if I'm right. What I hear you saying is what if somebody has a desire, like f- let's say for example, you want to, um, he wants I mean, to be an Olympian. He wants to be an Olympian. So let's say, or right. like me, Simone Biles. I'm a huge Buckeye fan. Okay, so this is good. Like I'm a really? huge Buckeye fan. I thought, I, thought it was, I thought it was Wolverines. No, 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 no. no. I love, I love the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I love football, but I am not gifted athletically, and I, I don't think I could play college football, especially not at that level. Well, you don't so, go to college, then, so yeah. right, right. So, but the idea is, what if I That's wanted like- to? If I had this desire, and it's like, wait a minute, have I been put on the earth with a desire that there's no fulfillment for? So that's kind of the question you're asking for. Like, I don't have the gifting to do it, but I yes. want to do it. Okay. That's it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I, I think a, a key principle to intention is that you, to honor your intention without attachment. So this is, this is like a key thing that folks teach, and I really believe it. So without getting tied to this is how it manifests, I will always encourage people. Like if somebody's a musician, for example, you're a musician, right? But you probably in your course of work have come across folks that maybe they wanted to be like, make it big time, make a living out of their musical, out of their craft, but maybe they just weren't at that level where that was actually going to happen. They weren't that, you know, in that sense, they weren't going to, they weren't that good <laughs> to, to be blunt about it. But so here's the thing. I would always encourage that person to go into that without attachment to how that looks because there's a there's an under I believe there's an underlying desire beneath even that desire, and so the more a person moves into that, the more things begin to open up. Now, in a real this is a real different kind of example, but I think it's to your point. I knew a person who had a who had a porno, pornography addiction that they did not like, but they but they were addicted to it. So 
a lot of folks will say, well, isn't it dangerous to, to tell somebody to move into that desire to a desire? I'm just using this as an example. This isn't a conversation about whether something is good or bad, right or wrong. But for him, he felt this was unhealthy. It was an addiction. It was not good for him or his relationships. So what I wanted to find out for him was like, what is your desire? Because even though on the surface, his desire was like, had this obsessive porn desire. I found out there was actually another desire behind it. So once we like, you know, so initially I would ask him a question. He would just say, I'm bad. I'm a sinful. He comes from a religious background. So he would say, I'm just a sinful person. I'm blah, blah, blah. So it's like, aside from all that, let's put that to the side. What are you trying to do here? And so it took some work, but we got to the, the root of it. And at the end of the day, he, this guy said, he was like, I know this sounds crazy. I know it's not true with my cognitive like mind. He said, but for a split second, those girls on the screen looking back at me, I feel seen by them. And I feel like desired by them. And I was like, oh, okay. So what is it that you actually want? You want to be seen? You want to be acknowledged? You want to be desired? That's beautiful. So once he could accept that that was the root of his porn addiction, and that root was actually a good thing, then he, as he moved into that, he re- recognized that, okay, this thing isn't actually meeting that need. I actually have a deeper desire. And that desire, when he could embrace that, it lost its power and he could keep moving forward in his life. But until then, this initial desire was actually holding him back. There's always a desire behind the desire. And it's to find what that is and embrace it. So somebody who may not be gifted in a certain area, but they're so intent on it, like, okay, let's do it. Let's go for that. Move into that. Let's see what happens. And eventually that will start to unearth things that will get a little deeper and it'll move them into, I don't know if that answers your question, but I would always encourage people not to get attached to a specific outcome, but knowing that the desire you really have will actually be fulfilled. Yeah. I, I want to just uh, tackle that. I know that your question was for Jamal. Would you want to finish clarifying? Yeah, I, just really quickly. I just wanted to say that, uh, like, how would that work as far as provision goes oh. if you are following this desire and... You know, I'm a terrible performance artist, but man, I just keep going to the theater. I keep running it out and I keep doing my one man show. I've been doing it for years, you know, and uh, I only sell a couple tickets, you know, you know, every year. It just doesn't do well. Like, how does that work for provision? Well, provision may not come that way, but if but that will open up doors to move into deeper desires where provision may come from. And it won't be so out of a line if if this person will discover deeper desires and begin to move into it. Provision comes when you move into the truth of what that desire is, so to speak, when you get around it. Like, for example, I, there's a guy who is an author. He knew way back when he was like, I'm supposed to be a writer and I'm supposed to make a living through doing my work. And he, was, he actually was homeless for a while, living on the street. And he was actually homeless for almost 10 years. But he had this compelling, he had this, this compulsion, like, I need to be a writer. So eventually he began to realize that he has so streamlined his income source to only come from this one thing. Then he realized that this was a block in his thinking. Actually, as soon as he started correcting some of those blocks and said, okay, actually I'm going to be a writer, but and I, I am a writer. I'm just going to write and I'm going to do my thing, but money can come from anywhere. And as soon as he started to, to actually open up his mind to that, some creative outlets started to open up for him and he ended up making money and he had a provision, which then that money supported him to do his thing he loved, which was to write. Then he ended up writing, and eventually he did become a New York Times bestseller and then made a boatload of money from his writing. But it didn't come that way. It came initially 
but he had to change his thinking and his mindset. And uh, but he but he he did move into his profession and did make it, but it wasn't the way he thought. So again, not being attached to how something <coughs> needs to happen is key because you got to understand there's an infinite intelligence out there that has already figured it out. I don't actually believe we have to figure it out. I always tell people how to is not as important as the decision to move in a direction. Once you move in this direction, the how to will come to you incrementally. I have so many examples I can use. People are people out there that are, that are doing the thing that they always thought was impossible to do, but as soon as they made a decision to do it, doors opened and eventually they're end up they're end up doing that thing. But the how to, we get caught up in the how to, it blocks the ability and if we can't see the how to, we then don't move into that tr- that direction and that blocks things from happening. If that makes sense. So I have a do you guys remember I, I'm asking my son David because I know who I think he'll remember the name. The guy on American Idol, it was so bad. I was named Hung. William Hung. See, I think of William Hung. William Hung, if you remember like second or third season of American Idol, William Hung auditioned and he was horrific. He was so, so bad. She bangs, she bangs. It was horrible. But it was so horrible. It made everyone laugh and it was incredible. And this guy to this day gets flown out like first class, put up in a like a five-star hotel, to sing horrible songs for like college frat parties and like big co- corporate parties. He is a professional full-time music- musician. Well, not full-time. He actually has a day job. But in some ways, he's living his dream, right? I don't get, no one calls me and tells, calls me and says, Keith, we're going to fly you out, give you money and ask you to do an entire concert for, you know, 500 people uh, for this insurance company or something, right? So... I mean, in some ways, he's living sort of close to something that he wanted to dream, and he's horrible at it, right? As long so, as you're cool with everyone laughing at him. Exactly. But he did. No, but he is. He gets it. He knows that he's not. But but uh, but say for every, for every whatever his name was, Hung, William Hung, there's, you know, uh, if you watch that show, those kind of singing shows, there's hundreds of people whose dream is to sing, and they get up, and they're tone deaf, and they everyone knows it but them. Right, because in their head they sound amazing, and everyone's going, "Oh, please stop! You suck, and you're never going to be even William Hung level." Uh, right? <laughs> but 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 it made me think about something. Um, I'm going to plug something. You should go look at this if you haven't watched it. It's on YouTube. It's a documentary. Uh, it's one of these things where like these documentaries that'll probably never actually come out. But you can watch like there's probably like six clips, like ten minute clips of it. You can probably get the uh, the, the, the the gist of it of what it would would have been if it ever does come out. It's called The Temple of Art. It's an amazing documentary where they interview like Kevin Smith, a lot of like musicians and artists and directors and actors and all these people, creative people, right? And so it's all about creativity and how to make it as a creator. And that's one of the questions that they are asking these people, all these cross-section of creators and creative people. Um, You know, like all these people that told you, what you can't make a living as an artist. You can't make a living as a musician. You can't make a living, uh, whatever it is, you know, you need something to fall back on, right? You you have to have have something else to fall back on and, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And when you watch, so go look out, go check out those clips on YouTube. They're really inspiring, especially if you're a creative person. It's, it's, it's really cool to hear all the different stories, but one, one thing, one phrase that each of them, no matter what their discipline is, that uh, that you, you start to pick up on, they all say this, They'll all say, you know, when I first started out, I was one of the artists in the group or I was one of the writers on the writing team or I was um, starting into film school or whatever, whatever it is, the thing they were running, they were moving towards, right? And they, every, dude, it's, it's so great, crazy because there's no collaboration here. They just all spontaneously say this. 
they'll say something like, you know, I was not the most talented person in the group. There were like three other guys that were just like, whoa, they were way more talented than I was. They were so much better at whatever this was than I was. But I didn't quit. And I just showed up. I just kept showing up and I just kept doing the work over and over and over again. And that's why now I'm... Yes. This person you know. And I, because I never quit, yeah. I kept doing it. And again, not that they were even the best at it. Right. But they just continued to pursue it because they were convinced, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. But it was the desire that kept them coming back. Right. So the thing is, like, a lot of people will have these initial desires. Hey, it would be cool if I did this, but it's not really connected to something really profound in them. So they may give it a shot, doesn't go exactly how they planned. And they're just like, I'm done with that. That's because the desire wasn't really rooted. Maybe that wasn't actually the true desire, but a person who can't quit is because the desire is compelling them. It's like, I don't know what else to do with my life, right. but I'm going to keep doing this because right. I'm so compelled because this is like, life doesn't make sense unless I do this thing. Yeah. Now, once you touch that level of desire, and you get and you accept that point. You're going, I won't do anything else because this is everything. I mean, this is why I'm on the earth. This is why I get up in the morning. Yeah. When you find that, the universe will make its way. It'll the Red Sea will part. I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm but really, that's how it works. <laughs> the, the, the fabric of the universe will begin to come in line to support that level of desire. I don't think a lot of us have been taught how to get in touch with that. Yeah. And that's what I'm passionate about. It's like, yeah. dude, you came into this world with that desire. We just got to discover it. And you move into it, you will see how much miraculous things will happen mm-hmm. to get you to, into that place so that you can act. It's like a GPS. You know, you set the GPS, you can take a lot of different turns. It'll keep rerouting you. Our spirit, our souls are, are moving in a direction, whether you like it or not. There is a longing, a cry of our heart. Every one of us has it. And we can't ignore it. You can, you could, you could shut it out. You could have beliefs that limit it and say, it's not possible. I don't move in that direction. And you'll keep hitting walls. Life. It's like, the way I look, look at it is like, if you're driving on the road, you will veer off and you hit the drunk bumps. That's when people, when you hit the drunk bumps of life and it's like, this is, it's like, it's not working. It doesn't feel good. It's because you're out of alignment. The drunk bumps are to show you, no, no, no. You, you come right back into that desire. Once you start shifting back into that desire, Life becomes smooth again. And I'm not saying no problems. I'm not saying, yeah. but there's a difference. So when Jesus said, and I believe this. So when Jesus says, hey, if you're tired and heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest because here's how I'm living. He's like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's not pie in the sky thinking. I honestly believe Jesus is saying, look, I'm living in line with my, with my purpose and there's a quality about my life that's easy and light because he's in alignment. And I honestly think that's not just for Jesus. It's for all of us. Like we can live this kind of life. Not that you don't have problems, but let me tell you something. Problems are actually opportunities. Once you're in alignment, you actually see there is no problem. It's like, yeah, it's a problem. It's a challenge, but it's actually an opportunity for discovery. And that's where, that's where things begin to shift and like doors begin to open. And then we understand like there is provision. Is God a provider? Like, well, in that case, yes. When you're in that flow, yes. Mm-hmm. But if you're out of alignment, then provision isn't going to do anything for you because what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyone else have a question? Again, it can be related to this topic. It doesn't have to be. Um, we have someone. Oh, oh there's someone here. You're next. Oh, hey. hey. Oh. 
It was on. So I was wondering in terms of uh, provision, so going back to it. So Keith, your, uh, your stories were your desperate need of the provision. Yeah. But my thought was for people who, well, anybody has a different level of um, financial stability, should they be relying on provision? And uh, furthermore, should people who maybe could, could cut something out of their life just to rely on provision kind of thing? Is- yeah. So, so if I understand what you're saying, I would say don't quit your day job. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I wouldn't. I mean, and like I was, it's kind of, I made that comment a minute, a, a second ago, like, um, I wouldn't want anyone to hear my story and go, oh, Keith's story is so, is so encouraging. I'm just going to quit my job and live my dream of blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think so. Because like I said, I, I think I'm, I'm perfectly positioned right now. I have 10 years of experience as a copywriter that now I can go and do freelance work, right? And I've got, we're also I've already been doing freelance for like five years. So like I know, or three years, three or four years. So like I, I, I've already built up a clientele. I know how to do that, right? with some proficiency. So there's that part of it. I've written three books. So I've, I've already got that kind of going. Right. And I did those things when I had a full-time job, right. I was, I was, I had a full-time job and then I would do some freelance stuff on the side or I would write my book and publish my book, but I still have my job. I went to, you know, Monday through Friday. So I sort of did things, but, but again, I was always moving towards this thing of like, uh, I think it goes like what Jamal was saying. Like I, I also was someone who like, when I was a little kid, I knew I was going to be a writer. I would go, when my family went to the mall which is what you did when I was a kid for fun. And um, I would go to the mall, go into the bookstore. I would go to the back on the right where all the science fiction books were. And I would go and look at the science fiction section. I'm not joking. I'd totally do this. And I would picture the, the you know, alphabetically, oh, books by Keith Giles will go right here after Alan Dean Foster and Robert Heinlein. These are where my books are going to go. I'm going to be a writer. So it was always, and I knew, I just knew I'm going to write books. I'm going to be a writer. Like at the time, I thought I was going to write science fiction books. Maybe one day I still will. Um, but it, so anyway, I, that sort of set me in motion because that was part of my identity. That's who I saw myself as. I'm a writer. And so that's why when I went to college, well, you know, in high school, I wrote, I was in creative writing. I wrote all kinds of stuff for fun because I loved it. And when I went to college, I, my major was English creative writing. And so I wrote, I took fiction courses and screenwriting courses and I wrote all that, you know, I, I continued to move in the direction of writing. When I graduated college, I never, I did not get a job as a writer. I didn't even know that there was anything, to be honest. I just thought, <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I had other jobs, but eventually, it, I mean, it's like that desire, because it's part of my identity, I eventually, it probably took me 10, 12 years, but I, I suddenly woke up to the fact that I love writing, but there are people that hate it. Did you know that? There's some people that really hate writing. I didn't know that. And that not only people hated writing so much, they would pay you a lot of money if you would do it for them. Really? You're kidding. Oh, hey, I'll do that. I'll, I'll write your newsletter. I'll write your blog. I'll write your website. I'll write your marketing materials. Yeah, bring it on. And you'll pay me? Yes, I love that. So once I figured that out, right, that, that, that put me on the trajectory of starting to work in marketing and copywriting and 10 years of experience, right? So again, it's sort of like... Um, a long answer to your question, I feel like uh, I had to go on a sort of a journey to get to the place where I'm now able to walk on water, to walk into this direction, right? I think if I had tried artificially to sort of force it to happen, I kind of think I would have just, boop, it would have happened, you know? I think I had to have the experiences that I had, go through the things I went through, learn the things that I learned, and now I'm in a place where I can put all that into practice, and it, and it somehow it works. Yeah. So. I think what I hear from your question is, should people quit their job to pursue their passion? Is that right? Um, 
uh, thinking more of the um, uh, as an aspect of God, is he going to be providing provision for everyone? That way. Thing. Yeah, kind of I like, th- totally. I guess. But then as I was thinking, I was like, oh, it can be more than just monetary. Yeah. So, totally, but totally. yeah, totally. that's kind of a thought. That's good. Yeah. And that's a hard one to answer. I mean, I like I think we already try to try to talk about it, but it's 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 kind of the flip side of the suffering question, right? Um, and we we've already dealt with the whole thing about suffering too. Like, um, and we've and solved it, right? We've solved we solved that, that problem. problem. Listen to the podcast, everybody. We solved that problem. Uh, no, but it, it's sort of like that's why. Like, I love Thomas J. Ord and Mark Harris's uh, thesis: the idea that God can't uh, because God is perfect love, and, and love isn't coercive. So God doesn't control. It's the uncontrolling love of God, and I. I like that as a posture and a direction of sort of addressing that issue of suffering from that perspective, except, and this is just my own personal, where I struggle with it and I I struggle to make sense of it um, in the sense that I have experienced times when God can. I have had miraculous things in my life, not just that. I mean, like miraculous healings and, and crazy things that have happened where I'm like, I can only see that God did that. And so... Uh, again, I don't know what to do with that necessarily. I'm still wrestling that out. But I do think that Tom Thomas Ord and Mark Harris's thesis is a better thesis than God allows suffering. Right. God causes suffering. God uses suffering, you know, in some way. I, now, I would say God doesn't cause suffering. We go through it, and God does pull good out of it, which right. is what Tom says. But um, well, well but anyway. Transformation typically happens through two ways. People usually have to hit... Great suffering. You have to hit walls or you kind of get into alignment. I honestly, it doesn't, we, I, I believe that pain is a part of life. That's natural pain. Painful things happen. There's things that outside of our control that happen that we can't have no control over, but suffering I feel like is optional. And I don't believe that life is constructed in such a way that we have to be tortured in order to grow. This is a Roman Catholic idea that I reject. (laughs) So, the idea is so. For example, we're pr- like, how many wars do you have to fight before you get to develop a a hunger or a thirst for peace? You know. Right. So in a in a most of the problems, most of the suffering in the world today, I honestly believe is optional. For example, uh, you know, hunger, people dying of hunger or thirst or or constant warfare. These are all things that we have the resources to mitigate. We just. Right. You know, so if you think about it on a national level, which I think we need to do at some point, we need to have a conversation at a national level and say the ingenuity, the creativity that goes into, you know, for example, I don't know if you guys know this, but our government spends over 700 billion with a B. If you actually stop and think about what a billion dollars is, 700 billion dollars a year for defense. And, and defense is like not the actual right word for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, offense. It's, not, it's, it's contract, not defense. It's, it's offense. $700 billion dollar, dollar offensive yeah. machine. It's contracts. To, and it's cr- the creativity that goes into creating the weapons of mass destruction, how to employ them, and how to like build a machine. To, to This takes away. So wherever you spend resources, it takes away from other places. Right. So for example, if we had the same creativity and energy being put on solving human problems that actually would make a huge difference in the world but we're not able to do that because why there's a fear and this is at the collective level there's a fear that people um are going to die that people are going to 
someone's going to come and take what's ours. So we have to build this machine to justify the fear that we're having. So it, it's, again, it's a consciousness thing. What if we weren't afraid of the rest of the, the human family on the, on the planet? What if we weren't inherently afraid of them? And we could actually have this idea of what if we exist to improve the lives of other societies in the world, then some of these problems that we're suffering and begging God to solve would actually become solvable mm-hmm. by human ingenuity and technology, which we have plenty of. We have some bright minds and a lot of money and a lot of resources at our disposal. It can now be channeled towards actually solving human suffering. And so what is God supposed to do? Like, if we're, like this is how it works. The work of God happens through humanity. But again, you have to change the consciousness or it doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Do you have a question? I think if our focus was on other countries and so, or, or other <laughs> improving the lives of others, then we'd actually be a Christian nation. That's right. That's what a Christian, yeah, it's what a truly Christian nation would do. Would We would care for the needs of other people. And then you wouldn't create refugees, right? You would right. be solving their problems so they wouldn't need to leave the totally. country. I think it's on. So, Whoa. following the um, like living into desires, and you also talk of um, the importance of like when you your car breaks down, like just sitting in that moment. How would that tie into like escapism? Like, would that be like making escapism like a big like evil like stuff like Netflix binging like that stuff? How does that stuff like tie into like living into desires? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> It's a great question, by the way. So where does escapism fit in? So let me make sure I understand your question. Where does escapism fit into uh, healthy desire? Is that kind of what you're... Uh, yeah, like how, or maybe how does it relate rather than fit into? Okay. Okay, so like somebody who's just perpetually zoned out into escapism, how is that healthy? Is that... how is it healthy more um, like seeing like if you're in a bad situation, like how escapism might not be actually the thing that is needed in that moment. Oh, like, like what could it prevent you from actually taking action? Yeah. To get out of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a great question. Um, it could escapism could, I think escapism from what I understand escapism to be is a way to not feel. Mm-hmm. So in similar as like an addiction. So if you, if you take an addiction, an addiction typically can be, there's something I don't want to feel. And this isn't always conscious. It can be unconscious. There's something I don't want to feel. So I'm going to just kind of pour my energy and focus into this thing because it keeps me busy from feeling the thing I don't want to feel. So escapism um, is not helpful when your car breaks down. <laughs> Let's say your car breaks down and you're like stranded and you're like, I'm just going to play some games on my phone or something, you know, or I'm just going to like think about some la la. I'm just going to be off of my land so I don't have to deal with the reality of this. That that's not, again, that's not helpful, but I think what I would encourage people to do, not, not to like zone out, but to say actually to get into this place where it's like, okay, what is it that you're trying to do though? So like somebody who is, zoning out or getting into like mindless kind of stuff, I would say, okay, what is it that you want to feel in this? And a lot of times it's a break. People want to feel like I'm trying to catch a break here. I'm just burdened. I don't know what to do about my car. I don't know what to do about X. I don't know what to do about this. So instead of feeling that, 
a person will go into like some type of addiction or escapism. And so I think what I would help, I would like want to ask that person, okay, so you want to feel like you, like you want to feel like, Hey, I, I, I need to f- focus on this, but I don't know what to do. I was like, okay, feel that. Like I would encourage that person to say, okay, my car broke down and I don't really know what to do right now. Okay. That's where you are right now. That's okay. Like, don't go anywhere. Like, stay right there. Feel it. You feel helpless. You feel like all this stuff is unfolding. Let's, go, let's stay right there. Let's examine that. Because once you can feel that, here's a cool thing. Once you feel that, it comes out of you. It doesn't stay there. And once you can clear that, I think fear is a beautiful thing. If it doesn't, you don't want fear to lead you, but you definitely want to feel it. So, like, if you don't feel the fear, it stays inside of you. So the more you can feel it, the more it can process. And then all of a sudden you feel a little bit lighter. Once you've felt it, you're like, okay, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid I'll be stranded. I'm afraid my loved one won't come home. I'm afraid of blah, 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 blah. It's okay. Let's feel it. And once you can clear it, you can go, just breathe a little deeper. And you're like, okay. And it's interesting. Then you could go, well, if you weren't afraid, what would you do? Oh, I might call. <laughs> then the solutions to the problem starts to come in a little bit clear. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of. Yeah. I, I was thinking um, this, because uh, escapism is sort of this, it's a twofold thing. Escapism, escapism is something we do when basically we want to escape reality, right? Because reality is too difficult to deal with, right? It's painful. It's, it's, it's distressing, you know, um, so we want to escape reality. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to live in reality. I want something to give me watch a TV show or whatever, play a video game or something to escape that reality. But it, it's also something where I don't know. It's like I, what I wish we would do instead of that. Like instead of escaping this world and its problems through this entertainment or whatever these things are that we use to escape reality, wouldn't it be better if we used our resources to create a world we didn't need to escape from? Like that would be awesome mm-hmm. if we would, if we would instead create a world that we didn't have to escape from. Yeah. And then, yeah. And I don't want to get all in like uh conspiratorial or whatever, or a uh, anarchist here, but it's also sort of like understand that uh, there are powers that benefit from having, uh, from creating uh, a myriad of things that distract you so that you don't attempt to create a world that yes. you don't have to escape from. Well, yeah, that's true. But what I mean, what if we also just accepted the fact that if we're present with our escaping, there's is there anything wrong with it? I mean, like if if you zone out and play video games, like yeah, it, no, it, it, you don't want to swing the pendulum yeah. too far and like, oh, sure. I you know live my parents in their basement. But yeah, there, I mean, I think there's perfectly fine times to escape reality. But if you're yeah. present with it, you, you're present with it. And that's... Yeah. If you know that's, that's what a you're good, doing. That's what you're doing, right. yeah. Right. I, I, right. I, the problem there's is nothing it, wrong with like watching... Yeah. It's nine o'clock at night, you put on Netflix <laughs> and you're just zoned out. I mean... No, I think, instead I, you should solve the world's you, yeah, problems. Yeah, you should solve the world's problems. We got to stop. We're wasting gotta, energy. I think if you're <laughs> conscious about what you're doing, then there's a place for it. So you totally. can say, you know what? I need to veg. I need to veg right now because I'm overwhelmed. So then you're consciously vegging. You can do that in 27 minutes. <laughs> but, but, it, but if you don't know that that's what you're doing, then it just keeps happening and it, it gets out of its boundaries and it like takes over your life. But I think here's another thing to go back to the politics thing or the big picture thing. I think the reason that there are powers that be out there that exploit for political purposes 
you know, um, through corporate profits or fear or whatever that they, they use. I think the reason they get away with that is because we have a large mass of humanity that has bought into the belief that they cannot change the world. So the belief even that I cannot affect change in my society, in my culture, in my country, whatever, is actually, then we cede that power to these forces out there that are not benevolent or they're not actually doing what's in the best interest of people because we actually think like it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't even matter. So my thing is like if you take a one human being that believes they can change the world, that, that life then becomes empowered. And I have to, I, my personal belief is, is that we can change the world. Like, again, to go back to the Bible, when Jesus said, like, we look at Jesus and we go, that guy was amazing. He Look what he did in three years and, you know, changed the whole world. But I don't think he felt that way. Actually, I know he didn't. He's like, you know what? Actually, guys, um, I've got to leave. <laughs> I'm going to go away so that more can, so that you can be who you are. And, but you know, basically you're going to go on and do greater things. And that's always been, I used to read that and that's always been treated as hyperbole. Oh, well, that's just Jesus being kind of, you know, he's humble. <laughs> no, actually, what if he was actually telling the truth? Like actually this, I'm just scratching the surface. Actually, you guys are really going to live into this and do greater things. Like what if we believe that about ourselves? What if we actually believe my life is going to go on and do greater things than Jesus? That belief in itself will transform your life. If you actually believe that's possible, it will transform your life. Yeah. If you take it to heart, then how do you have a bad day? Now, I don't mean that you can't have a bad day. I'm just saying you wake up in the morning, it's pretty epic. I mean, we're here and we're going to do greater things than Jesus. I actually believe the work I do is greater than anything Jesus did. I'm serious. I'm being very serious about that. Not in a demeaning way to Jesus, but I don't think Jesus got to the root of so much of, I don't think Jesus, if you read the gospels, he never, he did not unpack some of the root causes of human suffering. He touched on it and he brought the healing into it through some, you know, God is with us. We're not separate, all of that. But we're, we're extrapolating this far more than Jesus did. And but I, think I, but I, the, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with that because I actually do think that Jesus uh, puts his finger on Really, I think he does put his finger on what is our problem, right? The root, of, the love of money is the root of all evil. I don't um, think it is. Yeah. Okay. I do. I, I, I think it is. Well, I think. I think the fact that. Um, how can we? How can I think we, the fact that we uh, we have children in cages is the fact is because we have people who make a lot of money from private prisons, and they need warm bodies in those prisons so they can get government money that's going to fund those private prisons. And so if you loved human beings more than you loved your money, you would not do that. Well, I don't know that. When and that's Jesus, just one when example. The, the, the scripture that says the love of money is the root of all evil, I think is a bad translation. I don't think it actually means money is the root of all evil to love it. Because here, here's the thing. I love pizza. I love money. So my, how, how can I actually, and I work for money. I do lots of things for money, but not, that's not the root reason for it. But if money was the root of evil, then why would God give it to me? So the, the, it's but not it's the, the love, Well, he said the love of money. The love, the love of money. Okay. But it, I think what that, what that passage, my understanding of what that passage means is the lust of money from the place of lack, where then 
So when you have a place, when you come from a place of lack and you're like, this thing is my lust, it's my lust. I need it to be happy. I need it for, it's like, that's what becomes unhelpful because that, that causes greed, which causes hoarding. But I'll tell you what, I love money because money allows me to love people. This is how my thinking had to get reframed. Money allows me to do a lot of God's work in the world. And God gives me money because you love, but I would say it's because you love people more than you love the money. That's There's no why you're willing to let go of the money to help the people. No, it's a tool. I love, I love pizza. It's a tool to feed but my But if body. you love the money more than you love people, you would keep the money. As we were saying, you would hold on to it and not like yeah. they get the previous thing, right? If it was the a money competition, comes to you, does it flow out or do you hold on to it? Right. So I think this idea though, the reason I despised, I hated money for so long in my life is because I, I thought the thing itself was evil. So whatever you believe is evil, you are going to repel. Yeah, but again, he didn't say money was evil. He no. said the love of money is the root of evil. So if you love the money, that is what is, begins within you, this evil. That, that for you to do, it's, what, it's what empowers you and allows you to justify doing things that are evil. Mm-hmm. But so. coming from lack. So I can love something that doesn't come from lack. So I can have a mindset that says, I love my car. I love pizza. I love uh, Asian food. I love money. But it's not coming from lack. It's a tool that allows me to do my work. I get the I, essence of that passage is, I, I think the translation is muddled because what it does, a lot of people have guilt. in the, they, they have this a lot of these hangups about money. It's like, but they want it. They work for it. They're asking God for it. But at the same time, the desire for it seems wrong. And I think that's a misunderstanding from that passage. Yeah. That's just my take on that. So yeah. my thinking has had to shift on that. Because for me, and again, we, we don't have to agree. We don't. And, we, and a lot of times we don't. Yes, so, you do have to agree. But um, because to me, that passage, it's from the one you quoted about Jesus saying, it's made, so to me, it's Jesus is juxtaposing. He begins that whole thing by saying that the, the, the love of money is the root of all of evil. Then he goes into the thing about, um, you know, don't worry about your life. Your life is, you know, isn't the, isn't your life more about more than things and money and, and clothing and shelter. And your father knows you need these things. So don't worry about them. You're worth more than many sparrows. In other words, and then he gets, he goes through all this whole entire thing. And so therefore seek first the kingdom of God. And so it's, uh, to me, it's sort of, it's a contrast. It's don't loving money is the, is the, the root of evil. Um, then he gives all these other examples. And then the final, the conclusion of it is, don't worry about those things, right? God will, God will provide those things. Instead, rather than focus on the money, focus on the kingdom. Yeah. Right? The quest, and then there's something better and good that comes out of that. If I could rewrite that negative. passage, here's how I would say it. You can't, it. though. Go ahead. You can't. It's already, <laughs> it's already written. And we know you're better I mean, than you Jesus, could. but well, you're going to. David Billy Hart did uh, his I actually version, right? feel like, and this is just me, the, the under, my understanding of the heart of Jesus in that is saying, the quest to survive is the root of all evil. The quest to survive. But that's just based on how you feel about it. No, I think that's actually what he was saying. Okay. And I extrapolate that in my book, by the way. Okay. Unpack it. Why I actually believe, and I actually have a chapter, The Root of Our Evil, and I think you can trace every heinous act in the world from sex trafficking to all, 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 all matter of evil in the world back to this root of lack, which comes down to survival. And the people's deep fear of an inability to survive justifies all of this twisted desire. It's is, not is money. It, is, it, is it like a death anxiety thing? Yeah. Have you read Ernest Becker? I haven't read, but I've, I've, uh, heard, I've heard some of that. Yeah, but it's that, the essence yeah. of that. Like this, the quest to survive creates a lust 
And then money is a tool to survive. That becomes, then it becomes evil. Yeah. But money itself. Okay. Another question. All I heard you say was that you were better than oh, Jesus, but look out. No. <laughs> Not better. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> I don't attribute any of my success to God, and I would just kind of go. If someone says, "Well, God did it," I just laugh. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> is, that a, is that a really atheistic answer? <laughs> I feel that's really atheistic. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't see God as like a um, like a personal sort of deity or God. I don't think. Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, "Yeah, I grinded for five years." And I worked two jobs like I'm doing now and trying to write books. And if I have success, yeah, it's because I worked my ass off. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily, God wasn't involved in that. But I, but then I, I would say, I, I, on, the, on the other hand, God's not directly involved. I, I just see God as like beingness as, cell, as such rather than like a being that does stuff. So I don't, I don't take a personal view of God in that way. Like I can have a, I don't see myself having a personal relationship with God in, in any sort of way, um, which I guess in it is in itself atheistic. Um, but I do believe there is a beingness and I would, could call that God or we can call it love or we can use a bunch of other sort of terms, but yeah, I get annoyed when people are like, well, that's just give, you need to give glory to God. Or, you know, when you hear like, oh, uh, like uh, some Christian comedian kills it and they're like, well, no, all glory to God. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. stop it. Well, it's you, kind of a false you worked your humility. ass off. Yeah, you practiced. You failed a bunch of times. You yeah. got better and now you killed it. So just let it be what it is. So I have no problem saying, yeah, I, I killed it. Or I didn't. Or right, I sucked. Yeah, right, or, or I fucked it up and I was terrible. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see. I don't see God that way. That's just me. I, maybe they disagree, but I'm pretty atheistic when it comes to the personal God yeah, stuff. It's it's a it's a great question. I tell I tell no, you totally. It's a great question, and I think um, there's a joke in the Christian world. So a lot of people will say, like Matt's talking about, like a lot of people say, "Oh, it's not me. God did. It's all God." And I get that, but it's just not true because no, like no, actually, you were here. I saw you play it. I I, I saw you do the thing. Like yeah. you totally did it. But I don't like the distinction so much. So, for example, whether who was it God was it me? Like, I, I, here's my belief about who we are. So it's a question of like, well, who are we? You are Christ. So Jamal Christ. Yeah. Jamal well, Christ. Jesus. We understand the person of Jesus. Like in the Christian world, Jesus is understood as being. God incarnate, right? So here's a human being, but really they're divine. This guy, this person's divine. I believe that that is who we all are. So we are, somebody said it this way. I think it was a Catholic theologian. He said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. So I believe that at the core of who we are, we are spiritual people, beings. This is the nature of who we are. So we do things. So we also understand God is spirit. So I would say that 
you know, God, another person that we like to quote around here, he's a Franciscan priest, but he says that God likes to come to us disguised as ourself. So I would say that, did God do the work of my hands? And I would say, yeah. And I also did the work of my hands. And there's not really that big of a separation between the two. So it's all God. It's all us. <laughs> because we are the manifestation of this God on the planet. I believe that's who we are at the core of our being. You know, so cool. yeah. I would say, I mean, um, I wouldn't, I would not attribute my success to God. Um, but I would say, I think there's something really powerful about being grateful. And so I'm grateful and, and yes, I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful to God that I have the opportunity I'm grateful to God that I have the talent. I'm grateful to God that I have the experience of, of attempting it and succeeding at the thing. Um, so I think, and I think there's something powerful about having just that posture of being grateful. Um, for me, I mean, it's something that I think, um, so to me, that's different than saying God did this or, or something. It's just more about, about having a posture of saying, wow, that was you know, cool. This, this was something wonderful. I enjoyed it. And I'm grateful for the experience. And, and I wanted to, I, I think this ties into something. I wanted to say this in the, in the first hour because it ties into this. I've started to change the way I pray. I've noticed I used to pray to God and I used to ask God, like, I think we all do, right? Hey God, would you do this? God, would you make this happen? Oh God, there's this thing. I hope this works out. Oh God, please let this happen. Right. And, um, and so that was always the way I talked to God, always the way I prayed to God. But lately, I think since I've been walking on water, since I've been going through this weird shift of my experience, here's what I've noticed myself doing. When I, I mean, I'll be honest. I actually do say that the first time. My first time through, I'll say, God, would you please make this happen? Right? Would you go, God, would you please work this out? And then I'll stop myself. So this, eventually, I think I'm going to get to the place where I don't even say it. But I still, I have to say it the wrong way first. But then I'll stop myself and I realize, I'll, and what I'll do is I'll shift and I'll say, but you know, God, you're always doing stuff like that. Like you've always, I mean, in other words, those kinds of things are always, I've, I've, I've continually experienced that kind of a thing where God does open doors and things do seem to happen. And, um, you know, these kind of fa- this kind of favor begins to happen. So, so I've shifted now to, to instead just say, God, thank you that you're like that. God, thank you that you do these kinds of things. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this thing that I kind of do hope happens, but I'm not specifically worried about that. I'm more just acknowledging that this is who God is, that God seems to be, in my experience, that God, this is how God seems to um, sort of work in my life in certain ways. And and then one last thing, <laughs> because I've, you and I have talked about this, Jamal. Um, there have, I've had these weird experiences. Maybe you guys have had this experience like this. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen with everything. But there'll also be times when I'm kind of in this posture of like sitting alone with God and just talking to God. And um, I'll have a thought about something that might happen. And I'll just, but it'll just be like out of the blue. I'll just have this feeling about this. And I'll just kind of think, I'll, I'll kind of like, it feels like it's coming towards me. It kind of feels like this energy. And I'm thinking about this thing. And I just have this feeling of like, that would be really cool if that worked out. Oh, wouldn't that be cool if that happened? And it's more of like, that's how I, re- I respond to it. It's sort of like, oh, there it is. Oh, that would be, you know what? That would be awesome if that happened. And actually what I'm really doing is sort of, in, is sort of saying, um, yes, that would be cool. 
And then it happens. Like that's the crazy thing. Every time I've ever done that, the freaking thing will happen. And it almost is like all I'm doing is acknowledging that that's coming at me. It's almost like I can see down the road. You see that? Oh yeah, that, that I think I see what that is. Here it comes. I see it coming. And then I'm just saying, yes, God. I have a theory as to why that happens. Yeah, and you and I talked about that. I have a theory. I actually think it's a misnomer to think that creation is done. So you know how like the world, we were taught that the world was created in six days and that's over. I honestly think creation. So for example, what is tomorrow? Tomorrow is simply what you, it's It's today. It's today. It's like, it's it's literally what you do. So we are creating reality as we in the present tense it's always now it's always right now yeah. you never experience time outside of right now you'll never experience it tomorrow the only moment you it's have is right always now. right yes. now so what if the thought this would be cool is actually has creative potential in a energetic realm now actually this, but maybe it does I don't qu- know. quantum science has actually been, been able to demonstrate this at certain levels that your intentions manipulate physical reality so we can actually create reality can i say though can i say though again this is just in my experience when these kinds of things have happened to me it's it doesn't it's not like me sitting there going hmm what would like to happen oh this let me now think about this thing no it's more like i'm just in an unguarded moment and i have a feeling or a thought about this thing it's sort of like this it just like i said it feels like it just came at me and honestly what it feels like is i mean again this is weird it feels like God's saying, hey, Keith, what do you think of that? And I'm going, ah, oh, you know what? I do. I like that. would be cool. Okay. Yeah. And all I'm saying is I'm giving it permission to, to yeah. come. Yeah, yes. And again, I know that sounds weird, but that's kind of what it feels like. In yeah. other words, I'm not the one writing on the piece of paper. I would like this to happen. Oh, that thing's going to happen. It's more like, it feels more like the, the thing is sort of already written. The and desire. I'm just acknowledging it and going, oh, I like that. That's cool. I like yes. the wheat thins. That'd be yeah. cool to have. A, oh, the wheat thins. I, I have the opposite. Anxiety <laughs> comes and then it doesn't happen and I just have anxiety. All right, man. I, we need to talk. We rub off. We got um, time for one last question. And we're going to take. All right, who's going to be our final? It's a uh, well. Question. We're actually going to do one from the from the Facebook live oh, stream. Oh, sorry. Oh, right. Uh, you guys are out of luck. So sorry. So keep keep your answer short on this one, guys. Um, no problem here. Here's the, here's the question. What do you think about the several high profile evangelicals slash fundamentalists deconstructing lately? It seems like it's accelerating. Why is this? And that's brother Tom in Brooksville, Florida. Brother Tom again. I have a short answer to that. I have a super short answer to that. Why is this happening? The internet. That's my answer. Go ahead. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably a good answer. I think people have always done this. Isn't yeah. that what like the Protestant Reformation is? Why why is Luther taking all these people? Yeah. Well, What's wrong with those guys? Now we have the internet, so shit gets out so there. Right and here's the thing. People are paying attention to it because <gasps> these high profile, like telling you for every one of those high profile guys, there's like 100,000 people you never heard of that are also going through it, right? They're just a small little tip of that. They just don't write songs for Hillsong. They Hill don't write, song. exactly. They don't write for Hillsong. They don't have you know, <laughs> records and books and, and megachurches. Um, I... I I think I have a theory on this. We were talking about this before the podcast. Did you know that at one point in time it was considered impossible to run a four minute mile? That's right. So nobody had run a four minute mile, and then some human being broke that record and ran a four minute mile. It was Barrett in the Olympics. Barrett, that man's name was <laughs> Barrett Johnson. Before that person <laughs> broke the four minute mile, no human being in recorded history had done it. 
They didn't. So it was fought. It was not possible. But as soon as someone did it, I mean, people started doing it all over the world, which shows you that when somebody does it, it, it's like there's a law. uh, I think the, the, the law of his law of exponentiality where things begin to unfold. So as soon as you see one person do it, because we're all connected and we're all like realizing, oh, if that person can do it, I can do it. And we hear about it. It does speed things up. Conscious. This is how evolution happens. I do believe. So years ago, you would not hear very many people in high profile religious positions. It was very rare that you would hear people question their faith, deconstruct very openly their faith. You wouldn't hear about it. It's just Bobby Bell. Right. Rob. So, so, but you know, after Rob Bell, like, so that's, that's why right. he went first. Yeah. Some no, guys like, well, first. I mean, in our, in our, in recent times, in recent times, he, yeah. from a, from a very celebrity preacher yeah, yeah, standpoint, yeah, exactly. mega church pastor, yeah. when people started to hear his process, then more people started to give themselves permission to, to right. go. Cause it's not like the que- people didn't have the questions, but as people you hear, they're able to ask the questions and process yeah. it. Then more people then feel like they can do it. And I think you are seeing that. And honestly, and here's the other thing. I mean, the, one of the things that helps people do exactly what you just described is the heretic happy hour podcast <laughs> right. because, yeah, because people true. listen to this podcast and it's not just us. There's right. lots of other podcasts doing this, but, but podcasts like this yeah. where they hear us, Asking these kinds of questions, voicing these kinds of doubts, um, and and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person who thinks this way. I'm not the only. I mean, how many times we've all gotten those I've kinds gotten of emails, of those right? Messages, yeah. uh, whether from our books or blogs or or the podcast, like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm, I I thought I was the only person that thought that, right? So you're giving people permission right. to ask those questions and to pursue those things and to say it's actually a good thing for you to question these things, right? Unless you're wrong and we all burn in hell at the end, <laughs> then. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that would suck, huh? That would really suck. Sorry, our bad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but here's the thing about that, right? Oh, there we are getting played off. I'm getting played shut off. The, shut the fuck up, dude. So, so here's the thing about that. I personally think that, that Jesus is right about who God is. That God is not this God, this Father, who would burn his children to hell forever. And here's the thing. If Jesus is wrong about that, and God is actually a God who would burn you know, his children in hell forever, or even, even if he says, I won't burn you, Keith, but I'll burn that guy over there or your friend or whatever, I don't want to be with that guy. I don't want to spend eternity with a God like that. So, uh, I, But I don't think that's what he's like. I don't think so either. But if you disagree, rate us on iTunes and yeah, give do. us a one. That's right. <laughs> Just playing. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank Thanks you, guys. Thanks to all you. Eat some more donuts. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys.